You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Formerly Bulletproof Radio. For 10 years, across a thousand episodes and a quarter billion listens, my podcast has elevated what you knew about the capabilities of your mind and body. And because we're at the 10-year anniversary, I'm evolving Bulletproof Radio even further in my plan to upgrade humanity, and I'm evolving myself as well. I invite you to expand your knowledge, explore your performance, and embrace your possibility with The Human Upgrade. You'll meet bright thinkers and radical doers who push the boundaries of science, technology, personal development, and human performance in every way imaginable. Every guest you listen to, every topic you learn about, every new idea you discover on this podcast is there to move you forward. Join me on this next evolution to upgrade your mind, body, and life. And be sure that you're subscribed to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey on your favorite podcast platform so you hear every single episode. My commitment to you is that the time you spend with me on The Human Upgrade will always return more value to you than you spent on it. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey, formerly Bulletproof Radio. Today's show is on a topic I care a lot about because it's something that is preventable and something that is taking away our elders, our village elders, what the people whose job it is to hold wisdom and knowledge and to pass it on through multiple generations. We are losing lots of our elder wisdom to Alzheimer's disease. It's something where about every 65 seconds, another person gets Alzheimer's and about two thirds of people who get it are women. So this episode is a combination of two experts talking about Alzheimer's. One is a friend, an amazing human being, award-winning journalist, producer, news anchor, and author, Maria Shriver, who for 20 years has been working on Alzheimer's awareness with her nonprofit movement called the Women's Alzheimer's Movement, and I am a meaningful funder of that movement. One of the reasons I believe so strongly in Alzheimer's research is that when we crack the code for Alzheimer's, which is an inflammatory and immune and metabolic brain disease, it unlocks mental performance, cognitive performance, and longevity for all of us, even if we don't get Alzheimer's. So the research that's happening here to understand this thing applies to everything. And a lot of the funded Alzheimer's research went into my book, Headstrong. The second expert on the show today is neuroscientist and neuronutritionist, Dr. Lisa Mosconi, who focuses on brain science and the interaction of your brain with your microbiome and nutritional genomics. She's looked into women's neurological health and has been changing the way science approaches the female brain, specifically early detection of Alzheimer's disease. Now, keep in mind, a third of people who get Alzheimer's are men, so this research applies to everyone, but there may be some hormonal or other genetic differences, and we need to understand where those come from. She explains that more than a decade of research shows that Alzheimer's starts with changes in your brain years or probably decades before you have any symptoms whatsoever. What you'll learn in today's episode applies to you because the odds of you getting Alzheimer's, which is one of the four killers that you've got to avoid so you have the opportunity to live to 180, well, the odds are high that you could get it and you don't want to. And also, if you follow what you'll learn here, your brain is going to work better now. And that's what I really care about. I want you to show up all the way today 
and I want you to show up all the way 100 years from today. Let's build that into the world. So that's our expectation for everyone. What you learn here is about that. Today's guest is Maria Shriver. Her mission is moving humanity forward. And today we're going to talk about a topic and cause that Maria's been championing for years. She's been reporting on it, writing about it, fundraising for, and bringing awareness to Alzheimer's disease for years, especially in women. This started because in 2003, her father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And since that time, she hasn't stopped fighting for a cure and has become one of the nation's premier Alzheimer's advocates. For her, it's a spiritual, medical, and emotional issue. Tell me what it was like when your father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Well, it was in 2003, as you mentioned, and the world was a very different place in regards to this disease. There wasn't a lot of information about it. Uh, There was still a lot of fear about it. I think there's still a lot of fear today, but there was really a hopelessness uh, surrounding uh, the disease, and there were a lot more questions than there were answers. And so uh, when I found out that that's what he had, I immediately kind of started asking questions. I'm a journalist. I'm naturally curious. And I found very few answers, and that that's what led me to kind of keep pushing. I, as you mentioned, I wrote a children's book on the subject, and then I started just looking for other platforms in which to get the information out there. But they were platforms for me to ask questions and get answers, and then call that information and put it out. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi, <laughs> thank you so much for having me. You've published more than a hundred peer-reviewed papers, and. You know, you, you've done a ton of research on this, and there's all kinds of directions you can go, especially when you have a, a strong background in imaging like you do. So you can actually look at people's brains, which I think mm-hmm. is fascinating. I want to understand, how did you get into Alzheimer's disease? Because you could have gone in so many directions, and I mean, microbiome and all this, it, it, it's sort of like this tangled mess of topics, but you ended up where you are now. How did you navigate that, that world of possibility to come up with a focus that you have today? So I've been looking into Alzheimer's disease ever since I was 18. And the reason being that uh, I was already studying neuroscience. So it was a university I started a little bit earlier. And I was studying neuroscience. And around that time, my grandmother started showing very clear signs of cognitive decline. I'm Italian. I'm from Italy. And our healthcare system is not the best. Right, so there's no real support system for patients with Alzheimer's disease. They stay in the home pretty much forever, and so I experienced her decline in a very direct, fairly scary uh, way. And just a few years later, her two sisters also started showing exactly the same symptoms, whereas their brother did not. And so as a new scientist, my question was, why is that? Is there a connection between Alzheimer's disease and female sex, for example? Is it just my family that more women than men are affected? And am I at risk, right? What what can I do, given my family history, to really make sure that I protect my brain? And when should I start and what should I do? When someone finds out that a member of their family has Alzheimer's disease, I think we immediately go to like the stage four people can't remember their name and they're completely disabled, but it's not like that. It's the little things that happen first. What are the first things that happen or first things that you experience when it, when it struck in your family? 
Well, I think it actually, to go back to what you said, when people get diagnosed with Alzheimer's, they kind of go into shock. I think that's still what happens. I think what happens is that there are small moments along the way that we all disregard. I think the challenge to be present in our own lives is a challenge really for all of us. The challenge to take note of our health is a challenge for all of us. What we now know is that Alzheimer's is present in the brain doing its work for about 20 years before diagnosis. So getting people to pay attention to the small changes is a challenge, getting that information out there, encouraging people to see a a neurologist is a scary thing. People say like, I don't want to know if I have Alzheimer's. I don't want to know if there's something going on because there's nothing I can do about it. Do you know why? Like, why is Alzheimer's uh, more, was it hitting more women's brains than men's brains? Hmm. There are many theories. There are many theories. And um, the fact that women live a little bit longer than men, of course, is not something that we should underestimate. But I think there are a lot more, um, there's a lot more to that than meets the eye. And all my research of the past 10 years has been focused on that. And what we have shown is that it's not just that women live longer, but it's more like that women tend to develop Alzheimer's earlier than men. So we have done a ton of brain imaging studies, and we have shown two things. Number one, Alzheimer's disease is not a disease of old age, but rather the disease starts with negative changes in the brain years if not decades before any clinical symptoms emerge. So we're looking at midlife rather than when you're 70 or 80. And the second fact that we have shown is that women tend to develop these negative changes in their brains before men do, and specifically as women go through menopause. And that was a big finding. So does menopause cause Alzheimer's? (laughs) No, no, it looks more like... Oh, yeah, that, yeah, of course. <laughs> no, but it looks like so. there are a lot of changes that happen in a woman's body and brain as we go through menopause, changes that are not usually recognized as being neurological in nature. So we associate menopause with the ovaries. But when women say that they're having hot flashes, night sweats, insomnia, depression, anxiety, memory lapses, those symptoms don't start in the ovaries. They start in the brain. They had neurological symptoms. We're just not used to thinking about them as such. Because of the hypothalamic connection, the control over those? Two major reasons. The first one being that the brain and the ovaries are connected via the neuroendocrine system. And this system is run by hormones. And we know that hormones differ between the genders. So men have more testosterone and women have more estrogens. But what really matters here is that these hormones differ in their longevity. So for men, men testosterone declines very gradually over time and usually doesn't run out until very late in life. And that's pretty much a slow and quite symptom-free process, right? Men can suffer from some irritability or reduced sex drive. We, we, don't, we don't hit menopause where we spend like five to nine years of hell, right? <laughs> yes. From a female perspective, Estrogen declines quite rapidly in midlife, right? When women are usually in their early 50s and the decline is pretty sudden relative to testosterone. Also, it makes no sense to compare, if you will. The point Mm. is that women go through menopause in midlife and that calls for a reset 
of this neuroendocrine system, which is really important because we think of our sex hormones as involved in fertility and reproduction. But in reality, estrogen, like testosterone, really serves a number of functions in the brain that have nothing to do with having kids, but everything to do with having energy. So estrogen and estradiol in particular serves a number of functions that have everything to do for energy production in a woman's brain. Yeah. As well as the immune system stimulated by estradiol and neuroplasticity as well. But very importantly, estrogen is key for energy in the brain. So at a cellular level, estradiol literally pushes neurons to burn sugar or glucose to make energy. So if your estrogen is high, your brain energy is high. But when your estrogen declines, if you don't do something to compensate for that, your brain energy also declines in some way. So your neurons kind of slow down. And the problem is that they start aging faster. Mm -hmm. And research, including my own work, has shown that these declines in some women can even lead to the formation of Alzheimer's plaques. So when women are in their early 50s usually, but they can also be earlier because many women go through menopause earlier than age 50, very often because of medical interventions like a hysterectomy or an ophorectomy, which is the surgical removal of the uterus and or the ovaries. And when so many women have this procedure, it's almost one in eight American women that have the uterus and or ovaries removed. But the problem is that there is a connection between having these procedures and the higher risk of dementia later in life. Dementia or Alzheimer's or both? Both. Okay. That's fascinating. Yes. I think the small signs are what we all miss. And if I talk to everybody who's kind of was in my position as a kid, the kind of universal thing is I wish I'd taken my parent to a neurologist sooner. I wish I'd paid attention to them when they said, gosh, I, I can't remember this or gosh, I feel like this. Instead, most people are met with that's just stress. It's nothing. Relax. Pay, don't, don't pay attention. And I think trying to change that conversation to, yeah, pay attention. And start paying attention really young. That's what we're trying to do with the women's Alzheimer's movement is reach people in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s and say, now is the time uh, to pay attention to your brain health, not start getting acquainted with your brain when you're in your 60s and 70s. As a doctor said to me recently, look, at I have a lot of 70-some people sitting in my waiting room who have great abs and great triceps and they have no brain. Uh, <laughs> No, meaning that yeah. Alzheimer's has taken over. So I think that trying to shift the conversation, even anti-aging, isn't really for me about you know making sure that you don't have wrinkles or Botox. Anti-aging or you know longevity, aging well, really I think is a conversation that we could all have. And so you know it's it's to me it's like what does positive aging look like? What does powerful aging look like? What does purpose-driven aging look like? What does passionate aging look like? That's what I want to do. I don't want to live to 180, but <laughs> you can have that. But I want to live you know, in my 60s, 70s, 80s in a way where I'm independent, where I feel you know, purposeful, where I feel passionate, where I feel positive about my life, and that 
you know, my kids don't feel responsible for me, where I'm kind of still a viable member of society. I think that's the goal, certainly for me. And so what I do today, I miss the boat on my 20s and my 30s and my 40s because I wasn't thinking of that. That wasn't part of the conversation. So I'm late to it. My purpose is getting people younger to start thinking that way as soon as possible. As, as far as cognitive health is concerned, for many years, we thought that hormonal replacement therapy actually increased the risk of dementia, which is why we don't usually prescribe it. But recent evidence shows that there's a window of opportunity to really initiate hormonal therapy, which is prior to menopause, or at least before before menopause or within five years of menopause onset, where therapy does not have a negative effect on cognitive performance, but might actually make it better. So we're now trying to test with clinical trials and more accurate, more precise, and more thorough studies if that is indeed the case. So hopefully, soon enough, we'll be able to at least be able to offer this um, option to women who can tolerate it and for whom the treatment really works well. For everybody else, we're back to lifestyle because... Yeah. Yeah, you can take vitamin C supplements or perhaps vitamin E supplements, but we also know that taking supplements sometimes is not as helpful as obtaining these nutrients from the diet in a consistent way over time. So taking nutrients, taking supplements for a couple of months may not be as effective as eating the right foods correctly for years. Or or not eating the wrong foods, a a bucket of... Yeah, the bucket of French fries every day is going to trump any other good foods you eat, uh, or the, a bunch of sugar and all of that, uh, which is missing from a lot of this. People say, "Oh, I ate the good stuff. I had my little kale salad, which wasn't good anyway." But then they cancel <laughs> it out with you know the diet coke and whatever else. Okay. You're right, but this is so true. It's so important to just look at your lifestyle as a whole and. If you eat a super healthy diet, but you're incredibly stressed out and can't sleep at night, there's only so so much that broccoli can do for you, mm-hmm. right? Because stress is a major issue, especially for women's brains. There's a lot of studies showing how uh, cortisol, which is the main stress hormone, can literally sink your estrogens. And that's because they work in balance. So if your cortisol goes up, your estrogen goes down. If your cortisol goes down, your estrogen goes back up to normal. It's called the pregnenol and steel. So it's really important to reduce stress. It doesn't just help your day. It also really helps your brain. And studies have shown, brain imaging studies have shown that this is particularly the case for women's brains. So women's brains seem to be more sensitive to long-term stress than men's brains, at least in midlife, and especially in connection with menopause. Women who are chronically stressed and they're having issues with menopause show higher rates of brain shrinkage as compared to women who are still going through menopause, but they're not as stressed out. Well, I I find all my kids and their friends, and I don't know if it's because they're around me, they're all thinking about their brain health. They're all thinking about wellness in a way that people weren't thinking about 10 years ago. They're in the supermarkets. They're looking at what's in the drinks. They're educating themselves about wellness, about juicing, about stress, about uh, health. They're thinking about their moods. You know, you hear a lot of young women talking about moods today. That never happened 
10 years ago or 15 years ago. So I think all of this is really positive. When you think about your brain being connected to your body, when you think about wellness holistically, I think you're happier. You're more focused on right now. You're focused on look at, you know, I want to find a partner who's also thinking like that. And maybe that'll be the key to Alzheimer's is getting people in at such an early age and, and making, you know, part of my work with the women's Alzheimer's movement and Move for Minds and my partnership with Equinox has been to shift the marketing and the perception of who gets Alzheimer's and when they get it. Let's talk about who gets Alzheimer's because I don't think most people are aware that two thirds of Alzheimer's uh, patients are actually women, not men. Right. Like it, yeah. it sort of seems like a, a problem for old men, but it's a problem for old people in general, but it actually happens more to women. And do we know why? No. And I'm really glad you brought that up because, you know, myself, I got into this because my father had Alzheimer's. But when I was first lady of California, I had a big women's conference and I started programming breakout sessions about caregiving and about this subject. And more and more women were coming up to me and saying, oh, my mother has it. My mother has it. And I went to researchers all over the country and they're like, no, there's nothing about that other than the fact that women live longer. There's no there there. And I was like, I don't think you're right. I think there's a there there. And so we went and got funding for the Shriver Report, partnered with the Alzheimer's Association and reported that for the very first time to the nation, to leaders, to researchers and scientists, this is a woman's disease. This disease discriminates against women, and it's not just because they're living longer. There's something that's going on in women, and we can look at the S chromosome, we can look at hormones, we can look at inflammation, we can look at autoimmune, all of which affect women more, um, to try to find why that is. That's why I fund women-based research, and I still go around the country pushing researchers and doctors to look at women's health differently, not just when it comes to Alzheimer's. Women's health is way beyond the eight ball. <laughs> you know, doctors aren't steeped in it. They don't know anything about hormones. Even, you know, they don't know about everything. It's like, well, you know, there's a lot we don't know. I mean, that should not be the fallback answer from doctors to women. There's so much conflicting information out there. And it's really important to look at things that have been scientifically validated by means of vigorous research and, and really solid studies and start with those. And then, you know, tune it for yourself and just make sure that even if, even if a supplement is not proven in clinical trials to be effective, but it works for you, fantastic. The point is so many women don't know where to start. So my recommendation is to first really understand what's happening to you and to your brain and to your hormones. And then look at what science has shown so far that is really effective and proven to work and safe, right? Do you need to use HRT? Because for some women, hormonal therapy is actually godsend. Oh, yeah. Right? So many, so many really swear by it. But so many other women swear at it. It's really... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they have, you do it wrong, it doesn't work. Or even if you do it right, but your body just doesn't respond correctly. And I think a major problem we have in the field is that we can measure our hormones in blood, and even those tests are not that great, but we can't measure it in our brains. So that's a major issue for clinicians because you need to dose the hormones to work inside your brain. There is no correlation between hormones in blood and hormones in brain. They're almost two separate symptoms. 
systems to talk to each other. But the amount of hormones and um, their activity in brain is not the same as the hormones in the rest of your body. So we need to have tools that allow us as clinicians to go into a woman's brain and measure that woman's hormones to really find the right dose for that particular woman's brain and understand are your receptors still working? Are they still using the estrogen? Because if they're closed, if it's too late for you, then there's no point initiating this. There may be no point initiating the therapy for the brain symptoms, and we should look at something else. But if you're in a good position to respond to therapy, then let's dose it correctly, let's do it correctly, let's time it correctly based on your own brain. And this is something that we are doing now. So this is a tool that we're developing, also thanks to Maria Schreiber, who's funding part of the research. So yay for Maria and the Women's Alzheimer's Movement. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Why did you partner with Equinox? Well, I partnered with Equinox because I said, you know, where, what's the absolute opposite of Alzheimer's? <laughs> uh, where is somewhere that nobody's thinking about Alzheimer's? So I walked into Equinox because they were known for their sexy marketing billboards and messaging. Everybody in there was thinking about their body and thinking about looking hot and thinking of all these things. And I said, I want to get that group of people and I want them to think about their brains. And I want to go where you least expect to see me. And we started in one club, we moved to four, we moved to five, we moved to six, we moved to eight, and we're moving to all 93 of their clubs. I'm doing Move for Minds events in cities where we have brought the rock stars of science and research together going to talk about the effects of exercise, meditation, sleep, nutrition, stress, all of the things we now know may contribute to the formation of Alzheimer's. So people say like, well, can you say 100% if I do what you tell me, I'm not going to get Alzheimer's? And I'm like, no, there's no 100% on anything. But I'm telling you, it's the best information that we have today. And even if we prevent Alzheimer's a year, two years, three years in a family, that's going to save you financially. That's going to save you emotionally. That's going to save you cognitively. So I'm operating on every conceivable platform that I can find. I'm in gyms. I'm on television in my partnership with NBC. I'm on your podcast. I'm partnering with sponsors. I'm partnering with researchers. I'm funding research. And what's amazing to me, Dave, is everywhere I go, and I talk about this, it's as if I'm talking about it for the first time to people. <laughs> right. I mean, really smart people. Like, and I say this stuff and people are like, oh, I didn't know that. So that tells me it's like a political campaign. It's a emotional campaign, a financial, spiritual. And for me, having worked in women's empowerment, 
um, and having worked in politics and having worked in the news business, those areas all my life, this is the ultimate challenge and it brings all of those areas together. There's got to be some nuggets that we can take and say these are likely but not yet proven to be the good steps you could take to reduce your risk. Like, give me three, give me three nuggets. I give you three nuggets. Uh, they do not okay. require testing though, because testing is a little bit expensive. But um, I would say if, if you do want to talk to a medical professional, then look for somebody who specializes in Alzheimer's prevention. Okay. There are more and more clinics around the United States. We are based in New York City. We are the Alzheimer's prevention clinic at Wildcard Medicine. There are clinics in California. There's one clinic in Kansas. There are more clinics, and I have a list at the end of the book in the appendix. So that could be a good first step to really enroll in an Alzheimer's prevention program. If it's more about doing things at home, then what I usually mention is this saying in Latin, which is mens sana in corpore sano, which means a healthy mind and a healthy body. Mm-hmm. And if you take just the first eight letters, mens sana, that gives you a breakdown of all the things they can actually do. So M for mental stimulation. Okay. I know that your audience doesn't need to be reminded of that, but really keeping your brain intellectually stimulated is very important, especially in terms of learning. Learning is to your brain what exercise is for your muscles. So your neurons become stronger the more you activate them and the more you stimulate them to form connections. So if you are great at chess, Playing more chess won't help you as much as starting it's if you start playing bridge. You need to challenge yourself intellectually. If you like to watch movies, then perhaps watch a documentary or a TED talk where you're learning something. So that would be my number one thing that everybody can do. Number two for E, for men's M-E-N-S, E would be exercise. Exercise is really important, and we know that women tend to exercise less than men, and very often it's because we don't have time. However, research is showing that exercise can reduce risk of Alzheimer's disease substantially and perhaps even more in women than in men, probably because we don't exercise as as much as men to start with. So everybody needs to find some way to keep their bodies moving because that also stimulates the brain and supports hormonal production in the body and the brain. Then there's nutrition, diet and nutrition. And for women, we were just starting to talk about it, but Eating a diet that is high in fiber seems to be incredibly important, not just because it supports digestion and regularity, but also because it really stabilizes the levels of the sex hormone binding globulin, which is this molecule that in turn um, stabilizes estrogen levels in blood. So it helps you. Two of the things that, that we know help people avoid Alzheimer's is having a strong community and having a yes. sense of mission. Right. It, it seems like you've definitely checked those two boxes in your, your quest to keep your brain working really well, uh, probably beyond what, what most people could possibly do. I think I've learned a lot. You know, certainly I think what we know about healthy aging, you're interested in longevity. It's important to have a spiritual life in that. It's important to be in community. It's important to move to exercise, to do all those things, which we talk a lot about in Move for Minds. Uh, We don't talk a lot about the spiritual component, but I think you can find spirituality wherever you are. For some people, their spiritual place is the gym. For some people, it's nature, right? But I think I came late to the uh, nutrition component of all of this, just because I wasn't raised that way. 
And uh, so that's a, an area of my life that I still need a lot of work on because I think like many people, you know, once you're a sugar addict, it's, it's a tough thing to break, even though you intellectually know it. So changing behavior, I think is something we all have struggles with. Uh, maybe some people have just, maybe you're just like, got it. Cool. I love the way I feel. So I don't, I'm not tempted at all. I'm not that girl, but I think, you know, I try to check the boxes of, uh, you know, I have a strong spiritual life. I try to stay in community, but I think it's a big issue also for how do people age and stay in community? How do people age and stay involved? How do people age and feel needed, feel useful, find meaning? These things we know, the opposite of that loneliness, isolation, we know that that's not good for the brain or the body and that that increases your chances of getting Alzheimer's or increases the likelihood. So I think I'm really interested in the larger conversation of how we treat people as they age. Do we discard them? How do families care Mm -hmm. for parents as they age? Whose job is that? How do we take it from duty to joy? How do we build our cities to incorporate that? How do how does corporate America respond to people as caregivers? So that's a huge other conversation, but I think oh, yeah. it's a really interesting one and needed one. I'm fascinated by our whole conversation here and just looking at the long-term Alzheimer's risks of hormonal fluctuations in midlife. Um, you're the first person I've ever talked to, and I talked to a lot of people mm-hmm. um, who's who's done research on this and called it out. And I'm I'm grateful that you're doing that work because mm-hmm. the effects that are 10 and 20 and 30 years down the line are the hardest of all things to detect yes. and to measure and to track. And you're successfully doing that. So thank you for uh, just going out there, raising the funding, uh, doing the work. Uh, it's uh, it's very meaningful what you're doing. Thank you so much. I, I really I put my heart and soul in in the research and I really believe it is important. Anything that I didn't ask you that you would like to tell people listening to the show? Uh, I would just like to say that brain health is women's health and that we really need to take care of our brains as well. I have so many friends who are like, I just don't have time for me. I have to work. I have my family. I have my kids. I have my husband. I have my parents. I have everything else going on in my life and in me, I'm just not a priority at this point. And we really need to make sure that we are also part of the picture because so many women just lose themselves in, in everything else that is going on. And I, I find, I don't know if, if you noticed that too, but women are incredibly generous in that way, almost too, too easily making a sacrifice in some ways, right? That just put everybody else before me and then I'll get a health issue. And then I don't know what to do. So it's really important to to take care of ourselves as well. And our brains are really one of our most important assets. And the best way to engage in prevention is now. It's never too late to start, but the sooner we start doing it, the better. Um, Maria, I'm just so impressed and grateful for the work you're doing around Alzheimer's and around Move for Minds. And I, I just think it's so noteworthy and amazing uh, that, you're, you. that you're just putting so much of yourself into that movement. And you can see the awareness change directly as a result of the work you're doing. So, so thank you thank, so much. Well, thank you for your work. I was really happy to do this, not just because I 
drink your stuff and eat your stuff and put it in my coffee, but because I think uh, you know we're on the same mission. I want to spend my time with people who also believe they have a mission and are yeah. working to try to make the world a little bit better. Because I think we all can do that. And uh, I think we're all capable of that. And I think that's what the world needs. It, it does indeed. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.